The Dry Cleaner Cast presents Need to Know. Need to Know is a podcast featuring conversations with security experts focused on the terrorism and intelligence stories dominating the headlines. This podcast is written, edited, and presented by Chris Carr. This is Need to Know. On today's podcast, I'm joined by author and journalist David Nywert, and we take a look into the conspiracy theories around the coronavirus and how many of those conspiracy theories have their roots in far-right ideology. If you're enjoying this show, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber. If you go to patreon.com forward slash drycleanercast, you'll get access to new exclusive episodes just for Patreon subscribers. You'll also get early access to our interviews. And if you subscribe at over $15 a month, you'll also get a copy of the film The Dry Cleaner. Also, if you like the show, please leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast app. Every positive review or every review helps us gain more listeners. Also, if you like this podcast, you may enjoy my short film, The Dry Cleaner. The Dry Cleaner is my first attempt at spy fiction and is now available on iTunes and Amazon. All you need to do is type in The Dry Cleaner Film to iTunes or Amazon and you'll see the film come up. I think it comes in about $1.99. If you become a Patreon subscriber at over $15, you will get a copy of that film included with your subscription. So you have the choice there. I hope you enjoy this episode. Opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the filmmakers and sponsors of the film, The Dry Cleaner. David, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Very good, Chris. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Surviving the uh, all the fun of the lockdown at the moment. Getting a lot of podcasting done, so it's been good. Yeah, watching tons of movies. Yeah. Yes, and movies too. <laughs> so for the benefit of um, new listeners, please can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, well, um, I'm a longtime journalist. I started in newspapers back in 1978 in northern Idaho. Yeah. And, my, uh, <laughs> and I just right then immediately fell into having to cover uh, right-wing extremists, neo-Nazis, because we had the at the newspaper I was working at, we had the Aryan Nations, a notorious neo-Nazi organization who've been mm. just uh, 20 miles south of where our offices were. So um, we became intimately familiar with their activities during those years. And they, uh, because it was part of my work as a reporter for uh, most of the years that followed, um, I just always had a background in them. And then in the 1990s, um, I decided that when I was first starting up my freelance work, that this was a subject that uh, I really needed to, um, that I, that was important to focus on and, and to provide, you know, beat coverage on because it, it is a dedicated beat. It's, it's actually uh, such a, it's such a consistent social issue that I recognized quite a way that a it was going to be providing me with 
no end of stories for most of my writing career, as indeed it has. And um, B, it was also an un- it's underrated in, yeah. in its importance. Yeah. So I felt it was important to have good journalists who could bring uh, historical and institutional knowledge to the thing um, to be, you know, part of the or to be writing about it. So, uh, yeah, I, back in about '92, I decided to start making this a dedicated beat, and it. Uh, I was kind of hoping to retire by now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it uh, hasn't. It hasn't worked out that way. Um, so yeah, and I and so I worked for MSNBC from '96 to 2000. Uh, won a National Press Club Award for them. Uh, I quit because I was disgusted with uh, the whole business, especially after the Clinton impeachment fiasco. And so I moved, or I became a freelance writer uh, full-time and a stay-at-home dad. That was really my main job. And started blogging pretty early. Um, So I worked for uh, blogs for quite a few years. I wound up uh, writing beginning in 2013 for the Southern Poverty Law Center mm. uh, and their Hate Watch blog, and I did that for six years. And then in 2019, I began working for Daily Coast, which yeah. is where you can find my work regularly now. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and you've been covering an awful lot of things on there. <laughs> I've written a few books about this. <laughs> and you've got a new one coming out soon, haven't you? Yeah, yes, I do. So my most recent book is uh, Alt America, The Rise of the Radical Right in mm. the Age of Trump, mm. um, which came out in 2017. And uh, yes, I have a forthcoming book coming up, well, we hope in September, but I don't think it's going to uh, because of the COVID stuff. I'm sure it's screwed up every schedule. Uh, but it's titled, it's about conspiracy theories, and it's titled uh, Red Pill, Blue Pill. Yeah, perfectly so. titled there. So brilliant. Well, conspiracy theories is what we're going to chat a little bit about today. So as um, so, obviously the coronavirus has led to a lot of understandable concern, and people are sort of turning to the internet for answers about sort of how this happened and what they can do. Um, and the downside to this, as we previously discussed, is that the online world today is a bit of a petri dish that is as toxic to your health as, as the coronavirus. Without missing a beat, a lot of conspiracy theorists have sort of sensed an opportunity with the coronavirus to make money whilst peddling their beliefs about the pandemic and in the process kind of confusing people and causing all sorts of chaos so can you talk to us a little bit about what you sort of discovered about the economics of conspiracy theories and also how a lot of popular conspiracies have their roots in the far right so nowadays conspiracy theorists make their money uh, through a lot of different means and they did back in the 90s when i was first doing this back then they just had mailing lists and uh, radio shows and hope for donations. Um, but um, nowadays they can generate money through any number of means. Uh, one of their most popular, of course, is to just uh, monetize their videos on YouTube, um, which YouTube is a real cesspool of conspiracy theories. Mm. And there, I mean, just hundreds of people out there on YouTube. Uh, filing videos about conspiracy theories and their hope, you know, they're all with the hope that they can monetize those videos if they go viral or something like that, and they can build an audience. Um, A lot of people also uh, monetize through Patreon, 
and uh, other, you know, sort of fundraiser systems. Um, but I would say the number one way that they make money, and this is actually this goes back to the '90s, is through um, selling phony health uh, uh, cures. Uh, one, you'll notice that one of Alex Jones's favorite uh, side pitches on Infowars is for his various tinctures and uh, uh, special solutions that he will sell you, um, including one most recently the uh, tried to claim would uh, prevent you from being infected by the uh, COVID-19. But I mean, yeah, we've seen a lot of these guys like Mike Adams going out and promoting these uh, collodial silver uh, uh, solutions. And collodial silver goes back to the 70s and 80s when I was first doing this. The that was part of the, the conspiracy world that they believed that you know well this is how you fight cancer or whatever that the FDA was lying to us about cancer cures and that you really do have these uh, there are all these various uh, things out there you can do to fight various diseases and you just need to talk to the right uh, uh, snake oil salesman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. So so basically, they're pimping these products online, or they sort of take a cut from it then, yeah. And I'm Mm. pretty sure that Jones makes a ton of money off those uh, uh, health uh, supplements. And, of course, he sells T-shirts and everything else. So Jones, in particular, has figured out, you know, dozens of ways of monetizing uh, his conspiracy theories, and um, but yeah, those are those are probably the most common and popular. Um, they, but you know, I mean, they just have a lot of ways to make money, uh, and uh, they do it. What kind of figures are we dealing with? Because if I'm, I don't know if I'm right in remembering this, but uh, you know, if Alex Jones is sort of um, custody battle that came about was it last year? I saw a figure, and I could be wrong, but it was a figure in the region of something like eight million dollars per year he earns or something. Yeah, in 2010, when he was really at the height of his uh, popularity, and and between 2010 and 14, I would say uh, he was making yeah millions of dollars. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the advertising he was generating mm. on his uh, YouTube page. Because in addition to monetizing you, uh, through YouTube, he was, um, you know, uh, making money. He was actually, I believe, um, Jones was YouTube's uh, top payout mm. uh, for for about four or five years. He was making millions of dollars on advertising. So. Uh, yeah, uh, they 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 don't miss a trick, and and of course now recently I don't know if you caught it this past week, uh, Alex has been uh, contemplating the realities of you know the lockdown and what will happen in, <laughs> yes. in the COVID era, and uh, it, and yes, like like my friends uh, in the Patriot movement who are all on about their civil war boogaloo. He also is planning for a post-apocalyptic breakdown where he goes and kills his neighbors and eats them. Yeah. <laughs> he actually talked about eating his neighbor's ass <laughs> his show this week. <laughs> he went full Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> 
my kids are not going to die. If it comes down to that, I'm going to kill my neighbors and feed them to my kids, he said. <laughs> I, mean, I know there's a shortage of flour and pasta at the moment, but that's that's pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah, well, it is It is probably, it was probably the ultimate expression of, or of what we're seeing with the, the whole response to the COVID lockdown from these folks. It's, yeah. Uh, because they are talking about a, uh, engaging in a civil war, and but it's not just that they're going to take down uh, authorities; they're actually talking about invading their neighbors and killing them for their toilet paper. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that segue is quite interesting. Into you know, we're seeing a a rise, a worrying rise in people who've been following conspiracy theories who have actually sort of participated in quite dangerous actions. And obviously, we've got the groups of armed men protesting about the lockdown. You've got people setting fire to to 5G telephone masts. And you've also got this train driver in LA who intentionally derailed a train recently as well. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on this? And um, you've already mentioned it briefly, the, um, there's this thing about um, this term boogaloo that's quite significant with, with a lot of what's going on. Well, um, the radical right, as you know, uh, Chris, has fantasized about having a race war or a, a second civil war in America for a very long time. This goes back to the 70s and 80s when uh, William Pierce wrote the Turner Diaries, which was about a, a race war, civil war. And that book, of course, inspired not just the order, the neo-Nazi gang that committed a series of horrific crimes in the 80s, but also Timothy McVeigh. Yeah, the Oklahoma bomber. He was a Turner Diaries fan. And, and the Turner Diaries is still widely read uh, among neo-Nazis today. So, um, yeah, the, it's a, it, the, this is a, a notion that has been around for a very long time, but it's really been gaining steam in the last five, six years. Uh, Michael Savage, the right-wing uh, radio commentator, uh, wrote a whole book about how uh, we're headed towards a, a civil war. And... Um, and of course, they they actually look forward to this civil war because it's when they start talking about it on social media, it's all the discussion is about oh well we can now we can uh, start killing those liberals we hate uh, without any compunction. Uh, it's almost literally the level of discussion that it's at. Yeah. So this has been floating around for a long time, and uh, beginning in. 2018, mostly talking about it as uh, a defense of Donald Trump, uh, they began talking about this civil war uh, using the term boogaloo. This arose from a neo-Nazis post on on Reddit. Uh, he was the first person to use the term. It was a you know was a typical alt-right uh, irony. Uh, they use they're using the name from a bad uh, 1982 disco movie called um, Break Into uh, Electric Boogaloo uh, is what <laughs> the movie was titled. And, but it's just their, their typical irony stuff. Uh, and the idea of the boogaloo is that they're, they're going to, you know, um, be engaging in this. Well, uh, after uh, now, now that 
we're in the, the lockdown here in the States, uh, the Boogaloo boys, as they call themselves, are just going completely ape. I mean, they're all over. And you see them, you see them at these rallies. Mm. These are the guys wearing the Hawaiian shirts when you see at the rallies. If you're confused by the, the appearance of Hawaiian shirts under body armor and, and AR-15s at these rallies, that's what this is about. These are guys who are eager and willing uh, and, and absolutely desirous of uh, fomenting a civil war in the United States. And they want to start shooting people. And they start and they talk about it. And they talk about not just, like I say, not just killing politicians. They talk about uh, invading their neighbors and, and stealing their toilet paper after they kill them. So, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, they think this is this stuff's all very funny, of course, mm. uh, because that's typical right-wing extremist humor. Well, yeah, I mean, like with any any extremist group, so their goal is to, in a sense, break down society so they can rebuild it in their image, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Put it in in more anodyne terms, these are folks who really uh, are hoping uh, to to replace liberal democracy. Mm with a fascist authoritarian system, a white nationalist uh, <laughs> authoritarian system. And they're pretty unapologetic about it. They don't do these things publicly. Mind you, they all hide behind pseudonyms and they they uh, guard their anonymity religiously because, of course, if it got out that, you know, your local bank clerk is one of the people um, doing paramilitary exercises on the weekend, uh, they're going to lose their jobs. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so they they guard they yes they guard their uh, identities quite zealously, but they're all busy talking about the Google. Interestingly, one of the people here in Western Washington State, uh, who is an outspoken promoter of the Boogaloo, uh concept, is a guy who runs the. Um, it's called Three uh, Percent of Washington. It's a it's a militia organization. It's mm. based down in town of rural town of Eatonville, which is right at the base of Mount Rainier. And uh, the guy who runs it, Matt Marshall, is uh, uh, you'll see him. In fact, on uh, on my Daily Coast post about these guys uh, doing the boogaloo, you'll see a photo of him. Uh, leading the protest in Olympia, Washington, with a Hawaiian shirt. Um, Marshall is also um, a member of the Eatonville School Board, and he's running for the state legislature in his district. And so, yeah, and, and he's taking on the guy who's the current Republican mm. House Party leader. Wow. Yeah. I don't think he'll do well, but, um, you know, th these guys are all, they're really about in many ways, trying to mainstream their ideas and their beliefs. And, and, and Marshall likes to claim, oh, we're not really about violence. The Boogaloo isn't about violence or hate or white supremacy. It's just about defending our gun rights. And then, yeah. you, go to the, then you go to the Facebook pages. There are 125 Facebook pages, by the way, uh, devoted to the Boogaloo. And Facebook has no interest in removing them. Um, and they they all they have some of the most vile stuff you'll ever see and it's all rather disturbing and frightening because yeah it's all about killing politicians and killing their fellow americans 
Yeah. So fun. That's <laughs> basically exploiting the situation at the moment to try yeah. and mainstream to hopefully sort of um, bring in new sort of supporters through the fears of the coronavirus and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've seen the photos of L.A. Mm. It's totally abandoned. You've seen our city streets just abandoned. And and honestly, it has. America right now definitely has like a sort of post-apocalyptic feel to it because everything is so shut down. Um, And that just enhances their what they're doing, of course, is playing with that apocalyptic fears, because, as you know, I mean, most of these conspiracy theories are fundamentally built around these sort of apocalyptic beliefs. Mm. Right. Mm. The end of the world is coming. Well, when it actually kind of looks like the end of the world is coming, these guys get a lot more recruitment going. Yeah, well, this is it. I, I, like, um, you see things like with conspiracy theorists, they talk about either it's the the globalist elite are somehow engineering this, or it's the apocalypse, which sort of leads into kind of biblical references and things like that. It's quite an interesting kind of pot puree of, of references they use. Oh, yeah, they, they use all kinds. I mean, that's the thing about the modern right is that it's not like, well, it's nothing like the the old right that I, the old radical right that I used to cover in the 80s and 90s. Those guys were all very backward looking. They had no sense of humor uh, and no, you know, no, I mean, there's nothing ironic about them at all. They they were just dead, dull, serious, kind of stolid and, and not terribly bright about it. And the, the modern... Radical right is uh, is very smart, uh, very agile, um, really deploys the mm. use of social references in very clever ways. Uh, they're very smart about recruiting because they're they're recruiting. You know, the old right used to rec- mostly recruit old guys. You know, I mean, that was when I would go to these meetings, it was mostly a bunch of old white guys. Uh, you know, very rarely would you see young men. Uh, and nowadays, that's all it is. It's you know, I mean, the recruitment is between the ages of thirteen and thirty, and uh, young white males. That's who they're going for. Mm. So, mm. Uh, and that's who I see the very large mass of at these uh, at these demonstrations and marches, and the people participating in this all right craziness. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's very worrying. So one question I must ask is then, what has President Trump's reaction been to these groups protesting these necessary lockdown measures? He calls them great people. These are great people. They're just, they're just uh, got cabin fever, he says, and they just want to go back to work. They just want to get back on with their lives. And, uh, you know, all I can say is you know, talk to the virus, dude. <laughs> we talk to the virus because that's, that's who's setting this agenda. It's not, it isn't the government. And that's the thing is that they're, they're mistaking the government for the virus. Mm. And the government wants to take away my liberties. No, I'm afraid this virus is taking away your liberties and we won't have our liberties uh, in full range until we are able to defeat this virus. Yeah. Uh, virus, virus doesn't respect your constitutional rights. It doesn't respect your free speech rights. It doesn't, respect your freedom to assemble it only it only respects that it can <laughs> that, that if you give enough distance it can't contaminate other people that's the only thing it respects yeah one one quick question that comes to mind as well um a lot of these um 
kind of conspiracy groups and these militia groups at the moment they do they somehow see trump as their man in the white house yet I, what i don't quite get is then they're kind of protesting against measures he's putting in place um uh, but are they are they kind of somehow thinking no. that he's yeah what, no, what is the logic behind well the Oh no no! I mean, it's all coming. They, they all have Trump banners and they're wearing MAGA hats at yeah. these protests. Uh, and and because partly because they're not actually protesting Trump's measures, they're mm. protesting the governor's measures. Okay. And so all of the protests are uh, against the governors, and they're you know like showing signs with nooses on them saying "Hang Whitmer" mm. and and things like this. Or uh, you know, no, all of this is being generated. And focused on governors, particularly Democratic governors in blue states, mm. uh, because that's who Trump is. And Trump's actually been kind of pointing to them in his comments and on Twitter. And uh, so he's really creating targets in many ways for the radical right mm. um, to hate on. And so, yeah, no, the, the, the anti-lockdown protests have all been heavily pro-Trump. Yeah, uh, they they don't see him as responsible for the lockdown measures. They see yeah. they see these Democratic governors as being responsible for them. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes a bit more sense. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. In that kind of weird twisted logic. But yeah. Okay. So um, with the since the COVID the COVID outbreak, conspiracy theories are obviously now being seen as a public health concern, I think rightly so. But And social media companies such as Facebook, Twitter and YouTube have started to take a bit more of a proactive stance against conspiracy theorists, but obviously there's still exceptions to that. Um, and a recent example that comes to mind is YouTube pulled a live stream of David Icke being interviewed about his conspiratorial views on COVID. Uh, and then since his removal from YouTube, David Icke has become painted as a victim of corporate and government censorship what are your thoughts on on that and and how best to tackle kind of conspiracy theories online and 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 this sort of um, nonsense information that's going on out there well you know free speech has never permitted people to the rules of free speech have never permitted people to yell fire in a crowded theater Mm. what ike is doing has been doing essentially is essentially the same thing he's spreading disinformation and misinformation uh, about uh, public health during a pandemic during a a national crisis and so um, i believe it's not only is it responsible for the media for the social media to remove him uh, it's really the only responsible thing to do because you can't be platforming information that is going to get people killed. Then mm. um, that's what Ike has been doing. I mean, and all of the people who are yeah claiming that the coronavirus is caused by 5G towers. And said, I think you've had, what, 20 towers set on fire in the UK? Yeah. And also there have been some in the Netherlands. And, and even there have even been... Uh, uh, Fires set down in, uh, I believe it's Nigeria. Oh, wow. The conspiracy theory has spread so far mm. that it's it's become this international phenomenon. Oddly enough, nobody's setting uh, 5G towers on fire in the U.S. I, I don't know why, because partly because the conspiracy theory here is one, the popular one on the coronavirus is not about uh, 5G. It's about uh, Bill Gates 
uh, actually. Oh, yeah. What is the, the origins of that one? That's a weird one. This little Bill Gates Foundation conspiracy yeah. theory where he's somehow making money out of the cure or something. Yeah. Well, it, it's very closely associated with the, the theories that still, I, I think, are being spread by President Trump uh, that mm. the... Um, that the coronavirus was actually produced in a laboratory in Wuhan. Um, one of, I think it might have actually been Alex Jones or one of his associates who first came up with this theory that, well, that lab in in Wuhan was actually financed by the Bill, by the Gates Foundation, and so mm-hmm. therefore the Gates Foundation is is responsible for uh, has actually been. Uh, creating this coronavirus as a bioweapon to use against uh, Americans. And of course, uh, I'm sure that the folks in Milan will be very interested to have heard that. But, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, it's crazy, isn't it? But it, that does sound very um, Alex Jones-like. He certainly circulated the theory. I don't know that he originated no. Well, that's the interesting thing with a lot of conspiracy theories, too, because, like, um, I mean, we've never talked much about, between us, about Russian disinformation, but obviously at the moment there are disinformation campaigns that are state-sponsored going on with regards to the coronavirus. There's a Russian one, there's a Chinese one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not aware of an official gov- American government campaign, but it does seem to be a Trump supporter campaign going on. Um, and it's a real, it is a real interesting mishmash of, of different things but it does seem to be this sort of weird ecosystem that i noticed when i was in my conspiracy theory days of information started to trickle in from from russian sources like russia today and things like that were becoming popular and people i knew in the conspiracy movement ended up on russia today and so on i don't know if there's anything you've observed yeah well russia was definitely one of the big promoters of the Mm. 5g theories partly because uh there seems to be um (laughs) Russian state uh, hostility to mm. 5G because they see it. That's actually a competitive. It's a, it's an economic competitive thing. Uh, Putin sees uh, the Chinese moving ahead with 5G and sees himself uh, become, falling at a, an economic disadvantage. So mm. yeah, they've been they've been promoting uh, 5G is a health threat theory mm. for what two three years now. I, and yeah. I know that that RT uh, and Russian sources have been major uh, fonts of this misinformation or disinformation, and in particular lately now uh, the claims that it's uh, part of the coronavirus pandemic uh, have also been, you know, very popular on RT as well. RT is just a cesspool, and yeah. any, anyone who uh, watches it or listens to it or gives it any credence whatsoever is a fool as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't know. I agree. One quick thing actually is interesting, and this will lead nicely into our next area of, of discussion in a moment. But um, I've noticed that the 5G conspiracy theory that's been going on for a while now, and obviously now recently links the coronavirus, is very popular among certain um, kind of environmental groups and new age people as well. Um, and I don't know if there's anything you've seen, seen with that at all. Yeah, yeah. When I was uh, diving into the whole... <laughs> 5G conspiracy theory, it was clear that there were a lot of folks who were um, engaged in this on on basically sort of a health and environmental uh, claim Mm. perspective, and that was what their sites mostly 
dealt with. You know, these are the same folks that run pictures of um, dolphins at a port in Italy and, and uh, you know, that were taken six months ago and claim that, oh, yeah. nature is returning. Um, and, and we've had a bunch of the, yes, nature is reviving itself stuff mm. going on uh, during the pandemic that is actually not related at all to uh, any factual thing, but it is actually, uh, these are being produced by what we call eco-fascists. Mm. Eco-fascists are uh, basically uh, people, neo-Nazis who use environmental and uh, uh, yeah, climate change type arguments mm. to argue for um, basically destroying liberal democracy you know there it's a sort of side function of accelerationism do you know what accelerationism is no no what's accelerationism well it's a it's a sort of component of neo-nazi thought uh yeah particular popular among the very young people who are extremely nihilistic uh they call it getting blackpilled but basically it's uh we've human beings are bad for the planet we've destroyed the world and we should actually try to help things along by accelerating the demise of civilization. So do what we can to help uh, nature by helping to destroy human civilization. And that's exactly what a lot of these guys are doing. So uh, yeah, eco-fascists are, um, yeah, they, you know, they argue against immigration on, on ecological grounds and they argue against um, race mixing on ec ecological grounds. What have you? You know, there's just uh, and they blame the death, you know, environment, climate change on the Jews. Mm. All these, all these things. So uh, these folks have been very active. I think uh, there were some flyers put up there in you know part of England, and they were mm. saying, yes, nature is returning. Uh, humans are the 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 disease, and the virus is the cure. Uh, yeah. was the flyer and claiming to be Extinction Rebellion, but of course Extinction Rebellion immediately said, "No, no, we have nothing to do with this." <laughs> but this is typical of fascists that they'll just mm. they will try, they will use any little wedge, they will use any little opening they can to try to recruit people. Yeah, and one of the things that that is interesting. Um, with these eco-fascists because just what you've described with the was it called acceleration theory is that what it was yeah because I've, I've i've seen that certainly in um expressed in in you know in the past at looking at things like info wars and things like that and in, in, in back in in the day um and i remember when i was a conspiracy theorist one of the popular things um among the people i was hanging out with was this and it was partly from david ike i believe this idea that it was all the climate change was all a great hoax um was one of the popular theories then um and and obviously you see that with Would the you kind of um, <laughs> yeah i know and that's the interesting thing about conspiracy theories is the the greatest problem is actually knowing what the actual conspiracy is because there's so many versions of it <laughs> And it's just like this, and that's why it kind of endures, I think, because, and that's why it's almost very hard to argue with a conspiracy theorist. Because if you take down one argument, they move on to the next one. Well, if it's not that, it's this, and 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 so on and so on. Yeah, yeah. And I can see eco-fascism and some of those things. 
I could see that appealing to um, you know some of the um, environmental side of what they talk about, sort of appealing yeah. to genuine environmentalists. And it's just it's very interesting how these different sort of groups out there, how they they all have something that somehow appeals to a complete another group who's completely diametrically opposed to to fascism, but somehow then they end up echoing kind of fascist ideas. It's it's fascinating. It is fascinating. It's um and worrying. You know, <laughs> after a while you need to go <laughs> take a long hot bath yourself out of that yeah. mind. Uh because it can be it can be really as you know, living in this operating mm. in this sphere gets mm can really be taxing on a normal person mentally because it's so mm. bewildering mm. and so mm. toxic and so ugly in so many mm. ways that yeah um yeah it, it gets to be depressing but um yeah hey we got to find some humor in it somehow <laughs> right yeah exactly exactly like what we're doing connect with us on twitter at drycleanercast Support the show by becoming a Dry Cleaner Cast Patreon subscriber today. Go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. One of the interesting ideas behind eco-fascism, which I picked up on your article, as the effects of global warming are going to get more pronounced maybe in the next 10 to 20 years, and we're going to see more catastrophes of the nature that we're experiencing right now, so we're going to have more movement of, sort of refugees and things like that. And, and these groups have this idea of something called the Great Replacement um, and yeah. obviously world events. They're going to try and sort of frame them through this great replacement sort of idea. So can you talk to us a bit about what the great replacement is? Sure. Well, the great replacement theory is kind of a mutation of early, earlier cultural Marxism mm. uh, theories, which were that, you know, that, that cultural Marxism is this idea that a sacred cabal of Jews have uh, been uh, silently and nefariously controlling uh, Western civilization through cultural means um, that, you know, it, was, it basically is anything, li feminism, liberalism, environmentalism, these are all products of this nefarious Jewish uh, conspiracy to enslave and destroy Western white civilization. And, um, and immigration, of course, is one of the the main ways that that they complain about uh, that they blame on cultural Marxism. So the great replacement theory, uh, or the replacement theory based on the book uh, The Great Replacement uh, by a man named, uh, unfortunately, Camus. <laughs> uh, yeah. His name was Camus. Now, I published his book in 2011-12, I think it was, mm. uh, in, in French. Uh, it was basically a takeoff, uh, sort of adaptation of cultural Marxism where he was arguing, he argued essentially that all of the mass immigration uh, that is taking place around the world, both in Europe and the United States, is uh, part of this nefarious plot to replace, uh, they basically intend to replace white people with brown immigrants as voters and as, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the political base of the world and and uh, yeah, that white people are going to be replaced by these immigrants, and we get this stuff. You know, it's um, 
it has spread extremely widely. It's it's obviously extremely popular among the neo-Nazi and and radical right, but it has spread uh, to very much mainstream venues. Tucker Carlson has promoted uh, replacement theory on his show, uh, and uh, there have been several other mainstream uh, sources that have used it. Um, And of course it has inspired uh, mass killings. Uh, The Christchurch killer was someone who uh, referenced uh, great replacement theory in his manifesto and was obviously familiar with it. The El Paso killer was also another man who he's very specifically mentions uh, replacement theory. And I think Mm. he mentions Camus. So, Mm. uh, you know, these guys, so this theory is actually inspiring mass murders, but it is also uh, weaseling its way into mainstream conservative thought, which is rapidly, just as the years go on, is increasingly, um, you know, resembling fascist thought. Yeah, yeah. And so then eco-fascists are kind of using this this idea as the underpinning of their beliefs, aren't they? Um, yeah. And I was just looking at my notes and I noticed they, they, so these eco-fascists like to use a term deep ecology. Yeah. To describe themselves. Well, Um, actually, deep ecology is is a is an older concept that Mm. has to do with it's basically a misanthropic approach to environmentalism. Mm. But at the end of the day, it becomes fascist. Yeah, I mean, the deep the people who uh, and I've known people who were into deep ecology and didn't understand that they were heading down that path. Yeah, no, I can imagine because that's the thing. When if you remove the racial context to it from an, because uh, um, I've spoken to many uh, environmentalists who who kind of start going down a slightly wacky road with the idea of the the planet's overpopulated and things like that, and it starts getting into rather icky territory. Yeah, yeah. Let's just have a little genocide to solve the problem, right? Yeah, and I, and I think and I think the thing is, people just is that pandemic. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people who hold some of these beliefs don't realize how far those beliefs can go, and and how you know, and it's it's because some quite a few environmentalists I've met are a bit, to put it politely, divorced of reality a little bit. I mean, I know somebody in particular who's now um, living in a mountain. <laughs> In a in an undisclosed location, just to get away from the from COVID, and <laughs> and it's just um, yeah, I just find some of them are a little bit. Um, I I can see them as easy prey for these ideas. Yes, absolutely. No, if you're if if you're not rigorous in your thinking about this, mm. uh, you're going to be very uh, susceptible uh, to all of these ideas. Uh, you mm. know, it, it actually, it, I think. Uh, I've been thinking about how we deal with this going forward. Uh, you know, mm. how do we educate young people to um, be immune to the this conspiracism mm. and this bad information and this misinformation? How do you how do you get people to where they're not as susceptible? And a lot of it just really has to do with, in the end, you have to be um, um, you have to hold uh, you know factual truth as as a real value and and mm. and and that expertise has real value and all of these things instead of just uh, discarding them and um you know it's going to take um what we've called digital literacy 
too many people uh, get online and just absorb the information uh, that they're receiving rather than actually um, knowledgeably separating the wheat from the chafe. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's been very easy for me because I was a, a copy editor, as a news editor for a long time. And, and a lot of my job had to do with separating the wheat from the chafe and being able to figure out what was factual and what wasn't. So for me, it comes naturally, and I know it doesn't come naturally for most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, there's a lot of work going around now, uh, going out, coming out now about how do we improve uh, digital literacy so that when someone comes across one of these conspiracy theories, they can quickly ascertain whether or not it, it actually is factual or mm-hmm. whether it's just a farce. And most yeah. of the time, it's actually easier to figure out than you think. But yeah. Do you have any tips for the audience, just as a trained journalist stuff? How do you kind of find facts? Uh, you know, how do you sort of uh, separate the wheat from the chaff, as you say? Well, um, a lot of it does has to do with uh, the nature of the substantiation. So if mm. you're, if uh, the fact comes, if these facts come from, for example, published peer-reviewed studies, mm. uh, that has a then it has a very high likelihood of being an actual fact Mm. Um, if it comes or if for instance say a news fact comes from eyewitnesses who were there on the ground and are able to um, relate you know events as they actually occurred in a factual manner uh, then that's a lot different than uh, you know that's that's totally different from somebody who watched a video and and posts their interpretation of it. You know, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and, and and so basically, I I think that you know some of the simplest tips are just when you come across it on a website, uh, come across uh, a conspiracy theory on a website, go and actually look at the rest of that website. Don't just mm. look at the article that you're being directed to. Because a lot of times conspiracy theorists will pose sem- post semi-legitimate stuff on their page to draw you into their website, and then they sell you a bunch of other conspiracy theories while they're at it. Mm. And mm. and you may not know it, but that actually the conspiracy theories are embedded within that story that attracted you in the first place. So mm. go look at at you know one of the one of the main ways, one of the best ways of you know, sort of checking your information is to contextualize it within the website that you're looking at itself. And you can usually tell by looking at the other content on a website what its direction and purpose is. Um, and you can, and once you understand that, then you actually understand the context of what that story is that you've been reading. Um, so that, that's one of the best techniques I can offer. Yeah. I had a run-in with an old conspiracy um, acquaintance of mine on Facebook, which uh, thankfully ended in him unfriending me. Thank God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> finally. Um, anyway, um, and he was saying things like, um, was it don't read the news because it's bad for your health? And then and then says something about, do you, you trust the BBC and things like that? How do you, how do you kind of... Uh, yeah. Well, no, I don't. Just, I don't innately trust the New York Times. I mean, this is the thing: is that understanding that that even authoritative sources can be wrong is an mm. important nuance. That mm. that you know you don't just blindly 
give yourself over to the sources. But you do examine, you know, you can actually examine the individual stories and also critique them. And you can also, uh, let's just think about New York Times and its role in the Iraq war, Mm. right? It it basically sold Americans on this idea that there uh, were weapons of mass destruction because it was a willing conduit for government uh, disinformation from the Bush Mm. administration. And um, and so many, many of us still keep that in mind when we go to read the New York Times, that yes, the New York yeah. Times can be wrong and mm. Washington Post can be wrong. All of these authoritative sources can be wrong. And even so, even if you feel with a degree of confidence that something you're reading is factual, always keep in mind that, yeah, you know what? It, it also could turn out to be wrong, but this is... You know, you you do have to make everybody has to make choices based on the best information they have available. But it has to be the best information. It can't be just any information, you know, Mm, it has mm. to be actually good, sound information if you're going to act on it. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't. It's just like, do you believe Donald Trump or do you believe Dr. Fauci? You know, (laughs) I believe Dr. Fauci because I know who the, yeah. I know who's actually authoritative, right? And I, yeah. and I, on the other hand, I'm not really eager to inhale that bleach in the first damn place. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I mean, honestly, that whole bleach thing. I mean, the, the <laughs> my dark humor. Every time I see somebody mentioning it, I just have to put Darwin because it's sort of getting to that point now where if people yeah, are really. Yeah, it's 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 you know honestly it's it's, it's not always even that because it, what actually of course happens is that the 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 people who are succumbing to what we would consider natural selection by being stupid, <laughs> you know, classic Dunning Kruger syndrome stuff here, um, they aren't always just harming themselves. Mm. Uh, take. For instance, the couple that remember the, that couple that actually consumed hydrochloroquine. Uh, they found the the fish clean, tank cleaner. This is a couple of oh, tech- yes, in yeah. They found the fish tank cleaner that had hydrochloroquine, uh, and uh, after after Trump promoted it, and uh, then they both wound up deathly ill, and the husband died because uh, they took it. Well, it turned out later that that the husband didn't know he was taking it. His wife is just just put it in his soda along with her. She thought Ooh. she was doing both of them a favor. Yeah. And and of course he died from it. But this is and this is how cause this is why conspiracy mm. theories are lethal, because the people around them are so stupid that they will harm the people that are around them. Well, yeah, and this is what concerns me a bit about the anti-vax movement as well, um, yes. because obviously in time, hopefully, there's going to be a vaccine for, for the coronavirus, but there's yeah. going to be this whole history of the anti-vax movement that's going to kind of collide with it. Yeah. Um, and I've already spoken to people about this, and they're like, oh, I'm not going to take a vaccine. It's going to make me go blind. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Yeah, yeah. They haven't even made the vaccine yet. How do you know it's going to make you go blind? You know. Well, this is part of the Bill Gates thing, you know. Mm. Uh, that mm. that actually the plot that Bill Gates' nefarious plot yeah. isn't just to harm red states. It yeah. was it's actually to get everybody to use this vaccine, right? 
to, to have to yeah. use the vaccine. And the vaccine is going to come with a chip, a microchip. You're only going to be yeah. able to get the vaccine yeah. if you have a microchip implanted under your yeah. skin. Yeah. And so this is, yes. And that's been a popular conspiracy theory. The my the microchip thing because I remember <laughs> here's another conspiracy tale. I remember once I went for um some random dinner with some random people, and I just had an operation and um and the host of this party, uh, I don't know how we ended up talking about. I had an operation. I think a friend of mine was like, "Oh, Chris has just come from hospital," um and uh, <laughs> and this this the host was sort of disgusted by the fact that I've just recently been to hospital because apparently. Without my knowledge, I've been implanted with a microchip. <laughs> and it's like, it's that kind of mentality. So the thing is, thankfully, the hospital visit wasn't that serious. It wasn't life-threatening. But the thing is, if I had had something life-threatening and I took what she said to heart it, and, you know, I didn't have common sense, I, you know, people might not go to hospital with serious conditions because they're scared of this microchip. Yep, yep. It's, it's so dangerous, isn't it? Well, or they won't take the vaccine, and so they're going to continue spreading COVID to the rest of the nation. Yeah. But just before we wrap up, I did want to just touch briefly upon the the rise of hate crimes against uh, towards Asian Americans and people of Asian appearance. Um, I mean, just in the weeks before the, the lockdown, I remember in London there were reports of people who were physically distancing themselves from anybody who looked Asian, yeah. and it was disgusting. Um, what's the situation at the moment in the States um, with, with regards to Asian Americans? Well, I wouldn't say that it's um, that we're having a tide of it. It's not it's mm. not uh, a huge groundswell, but we are seeing a steady mm. uh, flow of hate crime incidents mm. uh, targeting Asian Americans. There was a, a Brooklyn uh, man and his six year old daughter. Chinese who were assaulted, I think, two days ago uh, because mm. by somebody who uh, thought they just because they were Chinese, they had the virus. Mm. Uh, and so there is a fair amount of I mean, it's just basically Trump bred ignorance because uh, Trump and the right have been uh, eagerly blaming China for all of this. And the way this gets translated among the, um, shall we say, less perceptive members of the Trump base <laughs> is that, oh, Chinese people all have the COVID. You know, that's that's how mm. that's that's mm. how this plays out. Mm. So um, we are we have yeah, uh, Asian American groups are very uh, working very hard to try to pull this back. Um but unfortunately, Republicans are uh, really hell-bent on trying to blame China for the mm. virus as a way of deflecting blame from Trump. And um, yeah. so we're probably going to get a lot more ethnic Chinese bashing over the next six months as well. Well, yeah, my suspicion, I could be wrong here, but my suspicion in the build-up to the election, I think Trump's going to ride off an anti-China card. Um, is my suspicion. Um, yeah, right. I think too many people in this country have died for him to be able to pull this off. I don't think mm. he's going to be able to blame someone else for this. Uh, only among his authoritarian followers. And I would be surprised if by November, fully a quarter to a third of his 
mm. followers will have contracted this disease as well. Which is it? Once everybody's had some sort of first-hand experience with it, um, one would hope, and I don't mean wishing people ill, by the way. I mean, just like, yeah. I mean, like for example, in my own situation, I know people whose parents have have died from this, or or um, there are people I follow online, have even past guests on this show have correct, um, contracted the coronavirus, or relatives of theirs have passed away. So, so um, even in my own, you know, uh, limited experience of it, I've had some experience with it and spoken to people who've had people close to them die because of it. So I think it will make it harder, definitely, for the the BS. Yeah. Um, I hope it makes it harder for the BS. I really do. Yeah. Um, I, I am kind of curious, um, since you're closer to it, you know, what, what effect mm. uh, having contracted it uh, had, seems to have had on, on your uh, prime minister. Uh, does he is he a little more sympathetic to the uh, NHS these days? Or uh... I think it's too early to say. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I because you know Boris Johnson um, and his whole you know his whole government or administration have been very anti the NHS. Um, uh, you know, and they and they're slowly been trying to sell it off and privatize yeah. it and so on. It's been something the Conservatives been wanting to do for a long time. Um, so I don't know. It'd be I. I again. I think politically, because the N. I think the NHS is almost now on par with the Battle of Britain pilots in this country. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think for any politician to do anything significant that damages the NHS now, I think would be political suicide. I could be wrong, but I, I think it would be, and I hope it would be. Um, because this is the thing, when you have a situation like this, you realise, I mean, I don't know what the situation is in the States, but if I would, God forbid, or anybody I know to contract the coronavirus, you know, I would go into hospital, have treatments and come out the other end, and the thing that would have paid for it were my taxes. Um, I wouldn't get a massive medical bill for the ambulance ride, the ventilator time, the bed right. space. I mean, I what is the average cost of somebody in the states who catches the coronavirus? It must be, and you end up hospitalized. It must be quite a lot of money, especially if you don't have medical insurance. Right. If you're uninsured, it's astronomical, and it will bankrupt you. Um, mm. If you have insurance, it it depends on your insurance plan, but. Typically, a stay at a hospital like that would cost you five to ten thousand dollars. Yeah, and if you're unemployed, and I'm assuming a lot of people's insurance is tied to their employment, there's a lot of people at risk at the moment to lose a lot of money. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just a brutal, ugly situation, and and uh, you know, people are are doing their best, but. Um, they're not being helped by the people who are not. Yeah, yeah, and I know because I, you know I've I've spoken to Americans over the years about the NHS, and because many Americans uh, are, are semi confused or puzzled by it, and and, and partly because. Um, you know, it, the NHS or, or public health care is kind of painted as some sort of weird backdoor creep to full on communism in America. Right. And it's, and I can tell you from a country that has the NHS, has a, a public health care, it really isn't the backdoor to full blown communism. And I, I, I'm not a fan of communism. I, you know. What you're looking at there is that during the Cold War, especially British style health care was painted as being basically just uh, Soviet medical, medical care light. Mm. Like, you know, because, <laughs> you know, yeah. the Soviet medical care system was notoriously 
bad uh, for especially uh, mm. staying on top of you know being able to treat people with with uh, rare diseases and and getting advanced treatment because you know it was just mm. not um, it wasn't a first world system necessarily at the time. It actually has probably gotten better since then. But um, but yeah, Americans have this image of uh, British, uh, the British healthcare system as being yeah Soviet like, <laughs> as being you know well yeah you 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 have you have to wait you know have to wait six months to see your doctor and and you get crappy care and all this kind of stuff. So um, and of course it has nothing to do with the reality. And, and we actually have an even better you know. A, a closer example up in Canada, a very similar system, and it works beautifully. So, you know, um, mm -hmm. yeah, when, uh, well, during the Obama years when we were having the healthcare debate, and people would say, I, I don't want socialism here. It's going to destroy us. Yeah. And I said, Oh, you mean socialism like Canada? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, just that reminds me, so it brings me back to a conversation. I remember having another run in with a former conspiracy theorist because I, I seem to have that a lot. Um, a, a former close friend of mine, I remember during the Obama years, so Obamacare, and, and uh, I think I remember at the time people like Alex Jones and David Icke were claiming Obamacare was some sort of form of euthanasia. Um, <laughs> it's. Run by the lizard people. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, they, they oh my lizards. goodness. But, but it is the interesting thing I found with conspiracy theories that one of the things that I think in the end helped me get past it was I sort of saw how it was connected to very right wing views and very right wing politics. And, and, um, you know, and it, it, it was, it, it was quite, once you sort of see it that way, you start to really kind of almost decode it a little bit and start to see through it. And so when you, right. so, so Obama's in power and Obamacare's coming up. So what happens? Alex Jones publishes something about Obamacare and how it's terrible. Um, and it's, and it is just fascinating. It's, and, um, I've always been, you know, I've always been intrigued about the food chain of that information where it originally stems, you know, these conspiracy theories kind of stem from, and it's just so bizarre. And obviously with your book with the, the far right connection, and obviously as we've discovered a little bit about Russian misinformation, we get some ideas of where this stuff comes from and the agendas behind it. It's truly fascinating. Yeah, part of it has to do with that right-wing politics are fundamentally authoritarian. And mm. authoritarianism requires um, follow, uh, blind following. It requires people who mm. are willing and able to uh, sort of um, are, are actually constitutionally inclined to uh, mm. um, discard factual information. And in conspiracy theories are all about cultivating that mindset where the authorities are all lying to you. Any official story is false. And, and the only story that you really should believe is the one we tell you. Mm. And inevitably, the story that they tell you is a, a very right-wing one, <laughs> you know, because it's all about supporting. I mean, doesn't it, didn't anybody ever notice that that uh, nobody ever concocted a conspiracy theory about Donald Trump actually being a creature of the New World Order, uh, being cooked up in a lab in, uh, in, in, in Vladimir Putin's <laughs> Russia somewhere? I mean, that's, that's how that's why it's that's normally what happens to uh, any kind of liberal mm -hmm. politician who shows up 
Well, yeah, Obama, the 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 sleeper Muslim, yeah, uh, yeah, and Bill Clinton too was the same way. You know, he was the creature of the New World Order uh, and in the United Nations back in the nineties. So, yeah, no, this is how it always works. It's always anybody who is basically a supporter of uh, liberal democracy and open society is attacked because mm. what conspiracy theories ultimately are about is providing an information support system for authoritarianism yeah yeah and they, and they want to break basically the the one the one thing that seems to unite all the conspiracy theories i've come across and all the different groups who believe them yeah. there seems to be a sort of goal of of disruption and a goal of sort of tearing down the system quote right. unquote and rebuilding it um and it, it both the you know the environmentalist one um the 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 anti-vaxxers the the far left conspiracy theorists because there are far left ones and the far right ones and then the people in between all that they all seem to just ultimately want to somehow disrupt the system or, or take it apart and rebuild it in some yeah. way um, a lot of them don't know how they want to rebuild it but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they leave that to the imagination, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. Well, look, David, um, before I let you go, is, do you have any sort of other any other sort of final thoughts? Do you have anything that we've discussed today that are important to you? Main thing that uh, people need to understand is that, like these protests mm. in the United States that we're seeing, are really they kind of re really represent the way. I mean, it seems like it's very. Uh, now and very recent, very Trumpian, but these people mm. that are out there marching have actually been uh, very carefully cultivated by the mainstream right uh, for a very long time. Mm. People need to remember that the Tea Party was originally financed by people like the Koch brothers and Americans for Prosperity mm. and these, these right-wing money groups that created the events. And some of these same groups were involved in uh, organizing the... Uh, the anti-lockdown protests, but but they didn't yeah. have. But unlike in 2009 and 10, when they had to uh, put a lot of money and effort and into organizing these events, um, this time mm -hmm. around, all they had to do was kind of create a sort of structure for them, provide them a template, and it just yeah. spread uh, like a virus uh, among the radical right. And so we had. I think, what, 60 uh, anti-lockdown protests this last week. Um, and most of them were not really financed by AFP or Koch brothers or DeVos family, which is what happened in that first week or so of these protests. No, these are, people are all just, they're just, uh, they've managed to generate this army of authoritarian foot soldiers uh, that is willing and eager to go out there and even make themselves sick mm. in order to Donald Trump. Mm. And um, mm. I think it bodes very badly for what's going to happen over the next year um, as we had an election. Yeah. So uh, I think Americans need to be ready um, for likelihood of uh, domestic terrorist violence in this year. And mm. I think liberals and, and liberal politicians in particular uh, need to take uh, extra steps uh, to provide better security for themselves because I think these guys are going to be coming for them. Had a QAnon fanatic just last week been arrested. Mm. She was live streaming her cross-country trip uh, because uh, she was going to go assassinate Joe Biden. Wow. And the police uh, arrested her 
you know, midway through her live stream. QAnon <laughs> folks are, are particularly crazy. Yeah, yeah. But all of them are, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be something else. I mean, we already had the, the, uh, the we called him the MAGA bomber, you know, Caesar Sayak, the guy who mm. sent out pipe bombs to all of these uh, liberal media figures mm. and politicians. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more of that. Yeah, that's deeply worrying. Well, David, thank you so much for your time today. So where can listeners sort of find out more about you and your work? Well, uh, my my daily work is available at dailycoast.com, uh, K-O-S. And uh, I've got a fresh piece, in fact, on this very subject that uh, yeah. I hope folks can go and look at. You can also find me on Twitter, of course, under my name. That's uh N-E-I-W-E-R-T. Yeah, and then catch me occasionally on Chris's show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. I do appreciate you coming on regularly now. I think you might be my most featured guest now, I think. I, I need to double check and look, but maybe somebody could tweet at me and tell me, but I think you are. So thank you for coming on so many times. It's a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. Like what we're doing? Connect with us on Twitter, at DryCleanerCast. Support the show by becoming a Dry Cleaner Cast Patreon subscriber today. Go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. Thanks for listening. This is Need to Know. <laughs>